How's it going, 10 o'clock? It's good to see you guys this morning. Uh, my name is Mike Lee. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the pastors. I'm also the director of our MIT program. We actually still have a few people coming in, so if you could kind of maybe scoot over a little bit so our, our, our hospitality team can see where there's some uh, available spaces, that'd be really, really helpful. Um, and this is a good time just to say, you know, Boy, we love you 10 o'clockers. Y'all are awesome, but we would really love you more at eight or noon. <laughs> I mean, that's really the services where the love is poured out, you know? I mean, we love you guys, but boy, those eight and nooners, we love them like crazy. But yeah, you, seriously, if, you, if that could work out with your schedule and with your family where you might consider moving to that, that would be incredibly helpful. As you know, our parking, we, we overflow, you guys overflow, and we're so glad you're here. So please don't hear me saying don't come. But uh, again, if your schedule could work in another way where maybe one of the other uh, services would help, that'd be a big help for us. So anyway, again, grateful for the new weather that God has given us this weekend, right? Uh, yeah. So this is called fall. It'll last for about three or four days. And then we'll go right into winter. So uh, enjoy these next few days while you can because next week will probably be 10 degrees and uh, we'll get to celebrate that. Well, if you're new to our church or you've been coming for a little while, you know what we do is go through books of the Bible and we're currently in what's called 1 Samuel. It's the ninth book of the Old Testament. And again, we are Bible-believing Christians. We don't just believe in the New Testament. We, all God's word is God's word. And so we can learn and have been learning a lot from 1 Samuel. And 1 Samuel basically tells the story of four people, Hannah, starts off kind of that first Samuel. She prays that God would give her a child because she's barren and God hears her prayer, gives her Samuel. In the namesake of first and second Samuel, Samuel grows up to be a prophet and a judge over the people, incredibly important person in the scriptures. He anoints the very first king of Israel, Saul. We'll be talking about him some today as well. Saul becomes the first king, fells, and we'll see that happen today. And then we have what many of you probably know is one of the more famous people in the Bible, King David. If you don't even know who King David is, you've probably heard at least the story of David and Goliath. Well, that's that King David. And we're about to start getting into his story here very, very soon. But last week, Pastor Corey took us through the rest of chapter 10 and chapter 11 in 1 Samuel. And what the question he asked and answered was, have we made peace with God? And how do we make peace with God? We do that through with the finished work of Jesus Christ. And when we have trusted in Christ, he begins now through that peace we have with him to allow us to have peace with others as we lead people, as we serve people, as we go about all the things that God has given us to do. So that was last week. If you weren't here to hear that, I'd encourage you to go online and listen to it. It's really a good lesson. And uh, so that was last week. This week, we're going to be looking at two chapters, chapters 12 and 13. So we got a lot of stuff to cover today. And we're going to be thinking about this idea of the condition of our hearts, because whatever is in your heart eventually spills out, which then begs this command that we need to really watch out for. We need to guard our hearts. We need to be careful about what we let into our hearts because whatever is in there is going to come out. And so what we're going to see today is we're going to see the contrast between Samuel and Saul. Samuel had a faithful heart towards God. Saul had a foolish heart. And so those are going to be the kind of the two big emphases we're going to see today. And the question again for us will be, how's our hearts? Do we have faithful hearts towards God 
or do we have foolish hearts toward him? So if you came in today, when you came in, you should have grabbed a notes handout. They'll have everything I'm going to say. Also, if you have not downloaded the Experience Community app, you need to do so. And then you can click on sermon notes, and that'll give you everything I'm going to say, plus the scriptures as I read them. And then everything else will still be on the screen. So if you don't use either of those, you can just look at the screens, or you can play Tetris. I don't care. You can do something. (laughs) No, I do care. So I hope you don't play Tetris. All right. Everybody good? All right. Let's pray together, and we're going to jump in and see where God takes us this morning. Our Father, we are grateful once again for this beautiful day that you've given us, a day that is a day you've made, and we need to rejoice in it and be glad in it. We are also grateful, Father, that we get to gather as the body of Christ to not only sing praises to your name, but also to be a people who study your word. So we pray that as we go into your word today that you'll help us to understand it better so we can live it out better, so we can let our light shine so people can see the goodness of God. Father, we are grateful for all the other churches in our city that are meeting this morning, that are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray that you'll bless them and grow them, that they might help us to continue to reach the city for Christ. We pray for our other campuses in Shebbeville and Tullahoma and Cannon County that you'll bless them and all the churches in those counties as well. We thank you for the nonprofits we get to support. And we thank you for, in just a few weeks, the Fall Fest that we'll be doing where we get to shower our neighborhoods with the love of Jesus Christ. So thank you for this privilege. But Lord, we especially need your help today. So teach us through your word for your glory. And we are grateful that we can pray all these things in your powerful and wonderful name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, chapter 12, verse 1. Here we go. Then Samuel said to all Israel, I have carefully listened to everything you said to me and placed a king over you. Now you can see that the king is leading you. As for me, I'm old and gray and my sons are here with you. I have led you from my youth until now. Here I am. Bring charges against me before the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox or donkey have I taken? Who have I wronged or mistreated? Who gave me a bribe to overlook something? I will return it to you. You haven't wronged us, you haven't mistreated us, and you haven't taken anything from anyone, they responded. He said to them, the Lord is a witness against you and his anointed is a witness today that you haven't found anything in my hand. He is a witness, they said. Then Samuel said to the people, the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and who brought your ancestors up from the land of Egypt is a witness. Now present yourselves so I may confront you before the Lord about all the righteous acts he has done for you and your ancestors. When Jacob went to Egypt, your ancestors cried out to the Lord, and he sent them Moses and Aaron, who led your ancestors out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God. So he handed them over to Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, to the Philistines and to the king of Moab. These enemies fought against them. Then they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned, for we abandoned the Lord and worshiped the Baals and the Ashtoreths. Now rescue us from the power of our enemies, and we will serve you. So the Lord sent Jerubael, and for some of you, you know that's Gideon, Barak, Jephthah, and Samuel. He rescued you from the power of the enemies around you, and you lived securely. But when you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was coming against you, you said to me, no, we must have a king reign over us. 
even though the Lord your God is your king. Now here is the king you've chosen, the one you requested. Look, this is the king the Lord has placed over you. If you fear the Lord, worship and obey him. And if you don't rebel against the Lord's command, then both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. However, if you disobey the Lord and rebel against his command, the Lord's hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. So Samuel is a transitionary figure in the Bible as he's transitioning from the time of the judges, which were regional spiritual leaders over the people of Israel, to now the time of the kings where it would be one unified government with one unified leader over all the people. So Samuel is transitioning, and as he's doing that, he's giving a final farewell. He's giving kind of a final public address to all the people as he moves from being a judge now to just a prophet. And he has led the people since he was a young boy. If you've been with us from the very first of 1 Samuel, you know when he was around three or four years old is when he first went to the temples to start serving the Lord. And very soon the Lord began to speak in him and through him, and he became the spiritual leader over the people of Israel. And from that youth all the way now to he's old and gray, he has been faithful to do all that God has commanded him to do. And as his time now is coming to an end, he addresses the people. And now notice we're only in chapter 12 as his life is coming to an end. It's taken us 12 chapters to tell the story of Samuel. And yet now he's from a youth to an old man. And it's gone quick even as we've gone through it, which is really a reminder for us. Our lives are incredibly short, aren't they? In fact, the Bible says that we are just a mist that appears for a moment and then it's gone. And the reminder is we need to make the most of the time that God has given us. It's a brief time, it's a short time, but what we do for the Lord is the things that will last forever. And so we need to make sure we're focusing on that as Samuel did. And so as Samuel is standing before them, he asked the people, have I done anything wrong in your sight? Have I taken anything from you? Have I mistreated anyone? Have I taken a bribe so that I would give a wrong judgment against anyone? He even does something that would be scary for me to do, maybe for you to say, and hey, let's ask the Lord to stand here and be my witness as well. Have I done any of these things? And the people cannot accuse Samuel of wrong, of any wrong, one, one single thing. That's an, an amazing, amazing thing of seeing Samuel's standard of integrity before the people. But notice this, he's at his old age now saying that to them, which reminds us that to build integrity takes time. To build trustworthiness takes time. Now, if you're like me, maybe there have been times in your life where you haven't been a person of integrity, where you haven't been a person of character. But isn't that the good news of the gospel is that it's not how we start, it's how we finish that matters. So that even if maybe you couldn't stand and say, from the time I was a youth until my senior adult years, I've been always faithful. If you are a person who has repented and turned to Christ, he'll start a new story with you right now. That's the good news of the gospel. So he stands and says, can you accuse me of anything? But Samuel says, not only have I been faithful, but God has been faithful to you as well. And he tells them the story and reminds them of the story of the Exodus. 
He says, you know, when Jacob, who is also called Israel, he took his sons to Egypt when there was a famine and Joseph, his next to youngest son, was helping to rule over Egypt, brought them to Egypt. They were 70 people in total, but over the course of years, they built up to over a million people living in Egypt. But the Bible says that in Exodus that a Pharaoh arose who did not remember Joseph, took the people of Israel into bondage and made them slaves. The people began to cry out to God to deliver them, and God sent them, Moses and his brother Aaron, to deliver them. And some of you may remember the 10 plagues that God used to bring the people out of Egypt into, ultimately, the promised land. And God was faithful to do that for them. In fact, in the Old Testament, the Exodus is retold over and over and over again. Why? Because that's really when Israel became a nation. But for us, it's also a reminder that if you are in Christ, you have your own Exodus story. And what do we mean by that? We mean this, that there was a time when you were in bondage to your sin. God raised up a deliverer, his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, rose again from the dead to deliver you from the power of sin and death and hell and the devil and has brought you now into his presence and one day will take you to a permanent home on a new earth where there'll be no more sin, no more sadness, no more death. That's your story. And so the Exodus and the old story prepares us for the Exodus that we have in Jesus Christ. And so God delivered them out of the slavery to prove that he was faithful. But what do we see over and over again is that the people of God weren't faithful back to God. God is always faithful, but the people were not. But in this retelling of the story of Exodus, Samuel reminds the people of how good God is. And do you remind yourself of how good God is? Do you take moments to reflect back on seeing how God has taken you through so many things and even has brought you to today? Because we need that, don't we? We need to be reminded of how good God is. And you say, well, man, God hasn't been really good to me. Are you breathing air this moment? Is your heart beating? That's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. So God is always good. The question is not, is he good? The question is, do we see his goodness? And so we need help sometimes to be reminded of that, people who tell us that. So Samuel reminds the people, but he also reminds them that the people, again, have not been faithful. And he talks about the cycle of sin that we see in the book of Judges over and over and over again. And here's the cycle of sin. First, the people would walk with God. They would walk with him, obey him, love him, serve him. But then what would happen? They would be seduced into following worthless and powerless idols. Now, in our culture today, especially in this American culture, there's not very often where you're going to walk into someone's home and they're going to have incense burning to a statue of a God that they worship. That doesn't happen very often. And yet, what we do is we look at those people and think, you guys were so foolish for following idols. In fact, the Bible calls idol followers foolish because remember even with Dagon a few chapters back, remember when they brought the ark and the Philistines put it in front of their god, Dagon, the next morning they come in and Dagon's statue has fallen over. Did Dagon lift himself back up? No, the people had to push him back up. Why? Because idols are empty, powerless, and worthless. How can you worship something you made? The thing made should worship the creator, not the other way around. And yet 
people foolishly in that time followed false gods that they had created with their own hands. And yet, we are not much farther removed from those people because we do the same thing in our culture. They just don't look like idols. We follow fame, we follow money, we follow uh, self-esteem, we, we follow sex and identity issues. We follow all of these things and they leave us the same emptiness that the people back in those days felt as well. And yet we keep craving after it. Why? Because we're never satisfied because they can never satisfy us. And so we shouldn't look at them and go, those foolish people following false idols, we can be foolish as well and turn from our God to follow the idols of our culture. So they would walk with God, then they would be seduced to following wrong idols. And then what would happen is God would judge them by bringing either a nation or a people group to oppress the people, to oppress the Israelites. And after a while, they would cry out and say, we are sick of this. We need to turn back to God. And so they would repent and God would raise up a judge, someone like a Gideon, someone like a Samson, someone like a Deborah, someone would be raised up by God who would deliver the Israelites out of that bondage. And then as long as the judge was alive, they would walk with God. Then the judge would die and they would walk for a little while, but then they would slowly begin to be seduced by the false idols and turn back again to following idols and repeat that cycle over and over. But isn't it interesting that when things were going good, that was when they were more susceptible to turning from God. And isn't that the same for us? It's really interesting that oftentimes we'll get phone calls at the church and say, hey, can I talk to a pastor? My marriage is going, you know, it's awful. And, or, hey, I've lost my job. Can, can we talk to someone? Or, hey, I'm physically sick and I, we, we need prayer. And people will come and we love to help people. That's one of our joys is to help people who are struggling. But it's really interesting that in the struggle, they'll come and they'll give their lives to God and serve him. But then when things start getting really good, you start seeing them trickle away. Well, why is that? Because they've forgotten the goodness of God who delivered them out of that struggle. And our memories are so short and we are so easily distracted that we can begin to think it's what we've done that's made us successful. It's what we've done that's healed our marriage. It's what we've done that's made our lives better. We don't need God as much. Well, friends, you need God in the abundance as well as you need him in the poverty because we are always dependent upon God. Don't let the prosperity of God lead you to deny God. Let it remind you of God's goodness. And so the people, they had had these judges, but now when Nahash, who's the Ammonite king, we looked at that last week. Remember, he wanted to gouge out the eye of, of the uh, Israelites, and, and the people said, it is time for us now to have a unified one-person government. We need a king, an earthly king. Yeah, God's our heavenly king, but he's not doing us much good, they thought, so give us an earthly king. And what did God do? He gave them what they asked for, which isn't always a good thing, is it? Because sometimes we can ask for things foolishly, thinking that that will be what will help us and satisfy us when instead of we should be asking for God. So how do we make sure we don't ask for things foolishly? We need to 
be in the word of God with the help of the Holy Spirit so that when we pray in Jesus' name, when we ask things, we are asking according to the will of God and not our wills. We all need that help to keep us from pursuing those sinful desires. And it's interesting in verse 13, it says that you guys appointed this king, but it was God who gave you the king. That's that beautiful kind of dance of our free will and God's sovereignty that work hands in hand to make God's will occur. And so the people, they wanted a king and they asked for Saul. God gave them the king. It was the one who, he was the one who brought it to them. And even though the people chose this king, this human king, God said, I know it was foolish for you to do that. You've rejected me, but I'm still gonna bless you. Now, aren't you glad for that kind of mercy that God gives us that even when we do something dumb, he still says, I'm gonna make some good out of it. God's the God who takes beauty out of ashes, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. So this is what God says. Look, yeah, you foolishly chose a king, but I will still bless you because I love you and I want what's best with you. But here's what you gotta do. Both your king and the people, you people, you've gotta fear me You got to recognize I'm your God. I'm your creator. I'm the one worthy to be worshiped. Thus, you will worship me. And then you've got to obey me. Fear me, worship me, and obey me. And if you will do that, even though you've chosen an earthly king over me, I will still bless you. So here's what we learn from that. God created this world. God designed this world. God instituted everything that makes this world work, which means this, if God created all things, he knows how we should live so that the way he wants us to be blessed will be lived out in what we do as we obey his word. In other words, his principles always work for our good in this world he's created. Now, that doesn't mean that you're gonna win the one point whatever billion dollar lottery, okay? It doesn't mean that you're maybe gonna have perfect health. It doesn't mean that you're gonna have your perfect job, but here's what it means, is that even when you don't have enough money, even when you don't have perfect health, even when things aren't going well, if we are obedient to the commands of God, he carries us through those circumstances. He protects us in those circumstances and he delivers us out of those circumstances. Why? Because God's principles always work in this world he's created, always. And that's the beauty of God's word, isn't it? And how many of us have figured out when we try to do things our way with our own strength and our own wisdom, we suck at it. We're awful. And we're like, God, why did things go wrong? And God says, you chose your way. I let you go. But then God is always merciful, isn't he, to bring us back if we will repent and turn back to him. So Samuel gives the people a warning. He warns the king and he warns the people, you must follow the ways of the Lord because if you fail to obey him, not only will this result in things not going well for you, it will also result that God will work against you. Have you ever heard that phrase, your arms are too short to box with God, all right? And too many of us are trying to box with God saying, let me do it my way. And that may be the refrain of our culture, but our ways, when they're not God's ways, lead to awful ways, don't they? And so what does God do? 
God warns them, I will discipline you. Now, here's the good news about God's discipline. It is never for punishment towards his people. It is always for correction. And why can I say that? Well, the Bible tells us that all the punishment, all the wrath due because of our sin was poured out on Jesus on the cross. And he paid it all. We sing that song, don't we? Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, right? He paid every ounce of debt that we owed for our sin so that when God corrects us, it is always for our good. And sometimes God even allows the consequences of our sin to be paid by us so that we will remember how good he is. And whenever we feel that discipline, whenever we see the consequences of our sin, what should it lead us to? It should lead us to repentance, turning from our sin and then turning to pursue God turning from our ways and pursuing his ways. That is the goodness of God expressed through his word. In fact, in Hebrews 12, the writer of Hebrews says, listen, no discipline seems pleasant in the moment. Y'all remember when you were kids and your parents disciplined you? I'm sure you looked at them and said, oh, father, mother, thank you for your kind discipline. I receive it warmly and lovingly. No, we were like, man, my parents, I, ugh, I hate them. They, they keep disciplining me. But we look back now and we go, Oof, I'm glad they gave me some discipline, right? Because it'd be bad. Here's the thing for us. God loves you even more than your parents love you. And he loves you so much that he doesn't want you to keep going toward a path of destruction. He will correct you and bring you back if you will receive it. That is what we have in God. So we continue now. Verse, uh, yeah, 16. Now, therefore, present yourselves and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Isn't the wheat harvest today? I will call on the Lord and he will send thunder and rain so that you will recognize what an immense evil you committed in the Lord's sight by requesting a king for yourselves. Samuel called on the Lord, and on that day, the Lord sent thunder and rain. As a result, all the people feared, uh, greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. They pleaded with Samuel, pray to the Lord your God for your servants so we won't die. For we have added to all our sins the evil of requesting a king for ourselves. Samuel replied, don't be afraid. Even though you have committed all this evil, don't turn away from following the Lord. Instead, worship the Lord with all your heart. Don't turn away to follow worthless things that can't profit or rescue you. They are worthless. The Lord will not abandon his people because of his great name and because he has determined to make you his own people. As for me, I vow that I will not sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. I will teach you the good and right way. Above all, fear the Lord and worship him faithfully with all your heart. Consider the great things he has done. However, if you continue to do what is evil, both you and your king will be swept away. So Samuel reminds the people that he is a prophet of God and God's power is working in him and through him. And so what he does is he calls upon God in the time of the harvest, which is probably be late summer, early fall, 
Remember, storms happen in the spring and early summer, right? Thunderstorms, tornadoes, all that happens early. In the latter time of the year, you have less of those things. So it was not the time for thunderstorms, but Samuel says, here's the sign. I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna ask God in the time when thunderstorms don't happen to bring a thunderstorm. And what does God do? He brings the thunderstorm and it scares the people when they see the power of God, which is something that we need to be reminded of. We need to be reminded that God is God and we're not. We need evidences of him because again, we are prone to wander, we're prone to forget and God sometimes graciously shows up in power so we can remember, I'm not God, he is. And that's a good thing for God to do for us. And so the people humble themselves, they repent of their sin, they admit that they had done evil by asking for a king, and what do they do? They ask Samuel, will you please pray for us so that God will relent from his judgment upon us? And it was good of Samuel to do that. Now, the question for us is, when we are confronted with our own sin, do we do like Israel did and run to God in repentance? Or do we do like Adam and Eve did? Do we run from God in rebellion? I can tell you what you think about God by what you do when you sin. Because if you think of God as full of grace and full of mercy, grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve, his forgiveness. Mercy is when we don't get what we deserve, his wrath. If you think of God as a God of grace and mercy, you will run to him when you sin because you know that's the only hope you have. But... If you do not think of God that way, you will think you can hide your sin from him. You will think that he will not receive you. You may even hear the lies of the enemy that says, hey, how can a God like that love you when you've done so much against him? And we run from him. Dear friends, can I just tell you this? I stand before you and so many of us stand before here. It doesn't matter how far away you are. It's only one step back in repentance to this God who loved you and gave a son for you. And you can turn to him even today. You say, but you don't know my past. I don't have to know your past. I know Jesus. And Jesus came to deliver sinners from the penalty of their sin. He is a God full of grace and he is a God full of mercy. And so even though Israel was easily distracted from following God, God was faithful to want to bless the people. And Samuel was said, I will continue to pray so that God will continue to leave you. But it was ultimately up to the people to decide whether or not they were going to wholeheartedly follow God. And so what does the Bible do? It exposes our hearts. That's why a lot of us don't like necessarily reading the Bible because it's a mirror into our hearts that shows there's a lot of stuff in there that's not good. But if we will read the Bible, we will find the cure for our sin. And what is the cure? Things we say all the time. You need to pray, asking God to forgive you. You need to worship him. And then you need to read and obey the word. That's what we need to be doing every day. We need to pray. We need to read. We need to obey. We need to serve this God who loves us and has given himself for us. Next part, chapter 13. Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 42 years over Israel. He chose 3,000 men from Israel for himself. 2,000 were with Saul at Michmash and in Bethel's hill country, and 1,000 were with Jonathan and Gibeah of Benjamin. He sent the rest of the troops away, each to his own tent. Jonathan attacked the Philistine garrison in Gibeah, and the Philistines heard about it. 
So Saul blew the ram's horn throughout the land saying, let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine garrison and Israel is now repulsive to the Philistines. Then the troops were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines also gathered to fight against Israel, 3,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and troops as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. The men of Israel saw that they were in trouble because the troops were in a difficult situation. They hid in caves and thickets among rocks and in holes and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul, however, was still at Gilgal, and all his troops were gripped with fear. He waited seven days for the appointed time that Samuel had set, but Samuel didn't come to Gilgal, and the troops were deserting him. So Saul said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. Then he offered the burnt offering. Just as he finished offering the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. So Saul went out to greet him, and Samuel asked, what have you done? Saul answered, when I saw that the troops were deserting me and you didn't come within the appointed days and the Philistines were gathering at Michmash, I thought, the Philistines will now descend on me at Gilgal and I haven't sought the Lord's favor. And listen to this last phrase. So I forced myself to offer the burnt offering. Now, just as a quick aside, real quick, this is free for you guys. Chapter 13, verse 1, some of your translations may say, hey, Saul was one and began to reign for two years, okay? Some of your translations may say that even if you look, and there may be a footnote there that says that. When I read from the CSB, it says he was 30 when he began to reign, reigned 42 years. So what's going on when you see those kinds of things? Well, again, ancient texts sometimes have some discrepancies. They are never in the Bible about anything majorly over doctrine. They just sometimes have some things in there that you go, oh, well, it says this here, but it says that here. It's just a little weird. There's a way often to work that out. And so if your Bible happens to say that he was one and reigned for two years, it probably means that it's been a year since Saul was inaugurated as king, and now in two years will be how long it will take for him to lose his kingdom. In other words, it wasn't very long that Saul was in charge before God began to turn against him. So anyway, just wanted you to be aware of that. But what we want to focus on is those daggum Philistines. Those Philistines were always a thorn in the side of the Israelites. We've seen it throughout the judges. We've seen it when Samson was always fighting against the Philistines and they continued to be a problem. And so by this time in Saul's reign, however long he's been reigning, he now has a standing army of 3,000 men, 2,000 he keeps for himself, 1,000 he gives the leadership to Jonathan, his son, and he is leading them as well. So Jonathan takes these 1,000 men and attacks a Philistine uh, embankment and takes that embankment and the people of Philistine rise up in anger and assemble their army and Saul knows it's coming. This battle is about to happen. So he blows the ram's horn, which is a signifying thing, come to the battle. And so he blows the horn. And what happens though, the Israelite people, the men look at the number of the Philistine army and begin to lose heart, which we would too, right? If you're 3,000 men and you look at an army that's as vast as the sand on a seashore, we would lose heart as well. But one of the things, again, the people have forgotten is that in the book of Deuteronomy, 
This is what Moses said to the people. If you will be faithful to God, he will fight for you and one of you will chase a thousand men. But they had turned so far from God that they could not even trust in God. In fact, remember, they rejected God as their king and chose an earthly king. He wasn't gonna be much help in this situation. And so they began to lose heart and they began to turn from Saul's leadership. And Saul then acts foolishly. We'll look at that in just a second. So what we find is that God has brought Saul to what I call the in-between time. Samuel had said, go to Gilgal, wait for me, and I will come and finish giving you the word from God. So Saul heard the word from Samuel, obeyed him up to a certain point, but when he felt like Samuel was not coming at the right time, instead of being patient and waiting for God to complete what he said he would start, he took matters into his own hand. Now, I don't know all of you personally, but here's what I know about human condition. There are many of us who are in that in-between time right now. God has promised to preserve you. He's promised to provide for you. He's promised to give you hope and a future. And you believed it, but you're in this in-between time when you haven't seen God come through yet. You haven't seen God bring the finish to the promise he's given you. And you are on the cusp of wanting to take things into your own hands and do it your own way, thinking that's the only hope you have. But this is where God wants to strengthen you and teach you. If you will wait for me and trust me, I will do far more than you could ever ask or imagine. This in-between time is for your good and for the glory of God. But Saul did not see it that way. And so he looked at the fear of his men. He saw the absence of Samuel to come and bring a word from God. So Saul takes on the priest's responsibility, and he wasn't a priest, to offer a burnt offering. And when Samuel shows up, the Bible says, as soon as he finished, as soon as Saul offered that, Samuel shows up. And what does Samuel ask? What have you done? And it's interesting, isn't it, that when Saul is confronted with his sin, instead of repenting, he makes excuses. Well, I saw the people, my people were beginning to lose heart. They were turning away. And if God allowed the people of Philistine to defeat us, then there would be no victory. And God would, and he makes excuses. And the question is, what happens when you are confronted with the circumstances around you? What spills out of your heart? Unrepentance spilled out of Saul, not repentance. What spills out of your life when you're bumped? And by the way, friends, this world is going to bump us. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're going to get bumped in this world. But if you don't have good stuff in the heart, then the bad stuff will spill out. We've got to guard our hearts and watch over those. So what happened because of Saul's sin? Verse 13, Samuel said to Saul, you have been foolish. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. It was at this time that the Lord would have permanently established your reign over Israel. But now your reign will not endure. The Lord has found a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not done what the Lord commanded. Then Samuel went from Gilgal to Gibeah and Benjamin. Saul registered the troops who were with him, about 600 men. 
Saul, his son Jonathan, and the troops who were with them were staying in Geba of Benjamin, and the Philistines were camped at Michmash. Raiding parties went out from the Philistine camp in three divisions. One division headed toward the Ophrah Road leading to the land of Shul. The next division headed toward the Beth Horon Road, and the last division headed down the border road that looks, over, that looks out over the Zeboim Valley toward the wilderness. When you see those kinds of words, just read them with confidence. Nobody knows better. <laughs> Verse 19, no blacksmith could be found in all the land of Israel because the Philistines had said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So all the Israelites went to the Philistines to sharpen their plows, mattocks, axes, and sickles. The price was two-thirds of a shekel for plows and mattocks and one-third of a shekel for pitchforks and axes and for putting a point on a cattle prod. So on the day of battle, not a sword or spear could be found in the hand of any of the troops who were with Saul and Jonathan. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had weapons. So what's going on here? Well, Saul was more concerned about his position and how he looked in front of the people than he was about what the Lord thought. And remember, in chapter 12, Samuel had said, Saul, if you take things into your own hands and disobey God, people, if you take things into your own hands and disobey God, God will work against you. And Saul, though, feared what the people thought more than he feared what God thought about him. And so instead of repenting of his sin and coming back to God, he took matters into his own hand. And Saul's heart pursued the wrong things. He pursued being lifted up in the eyes of people rather than being lifted up in the eyes of God. He was foolish compared to Samuel. But know this, that before Samuel, or excuse me, Saul lost his kingdom, he had already lost God's heart. Because understand this, friends, wherever your heart goes, that's where everything else goes. Wherever your heart thinks, that's how you will live. This is why the Bible over and over warns us to guard your heart for for it flows the issues of life. If your heart is right with God, your words and your actions will be right with God. If your heart is not right with God, what you do won't be right with God. The heart always goes first, and then the actions follow. We've got to guard our hearts. And while God is patient, there comes a time when God will allow his patience to end, and he will act out in his righteousness and in his judgment for his glory. Because whatever we sow in our hearts will ultimately be reaped in our rewards. If we sow evil, we will be rewarded with evil. If we sow good, we'll be rewarded with good. And again, I know some of you say, man, I've been trying to sow good things, but things are still hard. There's more good coming than good we'll receive on this earth. We're supposed to lay for ourselves treasures in heaven where thieves can't steal and moth can't corrode and rust can't destroy. That's the ultimate treasure we're aiming for. But we still are called to live for God now. And so in the midst of this foolishness, God makes a promise and says, I am taking the kingdom away from you, Saul, but I have found a man after my own heart who I will give the kingdom to. And spoiler alert, that's David. Now, I want you to think real carefully about this with me for just a moment. David did some awful things too. He was an adulterer and a murderer. By the way, those are two of the top 10 things you shouldn't be doing, right? 
two of the two biggies, you know, the 10, right? So how can Saul be rejected by God and yet David be called a man after God's own heart? Again, it's all in the response to correction. Saul hardened his heart and made excuses. When David was confronted with his sin, he repented and cried out to God for his forgiveness. Have you ever thought about Peter who denied the Lord three times and Judas who also denied the Lord and betrayed him? The Bible says that both of them wept bitterly. Judas ended up committing suicide. Peter was restored. What was the difference? It was how they responded to correction. Peter repented. Judas let his heart get hard. Friends, it all depends on what you do when you are confronted with your sin. Do you repent and run back to God or do you respond in rebellion and run from him? Because we are like Saul, we have wandering hearts. We have hearts that often act foolish and what do we need? We need to remember that we have a savior who lived the life we couldn't live, obeyed all that God commanded him, died on the cross as our substitute, rose again from the dead so that we can be forgiven. That is the good news of the gospel and the hope that we have. And so not only does Saul lose his kingdom, but he loses his influence. Did you notice it said that at first he had 3,000 men, and then when he took a census, it went down to 600? And not only did he lose his men, the kingdom lost its military power and its economic power. The sin of the leader spread down to the people so that they all felt the effect of it. They felt it economically, and they felt it militarily. Now, I know in this season in which we live, we love to place the blame on people who are sitting in Congress or people who are sitting in the White House or people who are sitting in the governor's mansion or people who are in the mayor's office or on the city council. We love to place blame. But do you realize this, that while we are people who need to be praying for our leaders, every single one of us, we have people that we influence. And instead of worrying what's happening in Washington, we ought to be worrying about what's happening in my neighbor's house so I can lead them to Christ. We need to be more concerned about what's going on in my family so I can lead them in a way that honors the Lord. I need to take the influence that God has given me at my school, given me at my office, given me in my neighborhood, given me in my community, and use that to the glory of God. We all can influence people. Saul's influence spread to a nation. Our influence can spread to our city if we will use it for his glory. That is what God has allowed us to do. And so how's your heart? How's my heart? I'm glad you asked. One of the ways we can determine the condition of our heart is the priority of our time. Do we spend time with God and in his word? Now, I know it's easy to say, Mike, you just don't understand. School starts back tomorrow. I'm so busy. I got to run to Costco, got to get stuff, got to get the kids' lunches ready, got to get ready for the school week. I got to get ready for work, works tomorrow. Hey, there's football on. I got to make sure I watch that because I got to cheer my team on. You know, there was football last night, so I couldn't really pray the way I needed to because my team lost, so I was sad, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and we get so just busy. It's because our hearts are easily distracted. And dear friends, you have the same amount of time that Jesus Christ had when he was on this earth. And the Bible says that when he died, he had fulfilled everything that the Father had desired for him to do. 
and he was healing people. He was preaching services. He was doing all kinds of stuff. Do you think he was busy? But he would always kept the priority of his time with the Father, even to the point when he would withdraw and go and pray alone. Your friends, your hearts won't drift towards God, but your hearts will drift away from him. You've got to fight to keep the time available to be in his word and in prayer. How about this? Like Samuel, could we call God as a witness and call the people and say, we've lived lives of integrity? And again, if you're not right now, can I just tell you, even though you think that your past disqualifies you, God can take your past and turn it into a useful thing to allow you to live for him now. If you will repent and if you will turn to him. How about this? Does it take a crisis for you to finally honor and serve the Lord? Or do you as a man or a woman of God know that it's the good times that God gives us when we should be giving him the same glory that we do in the bad times when he delivers us? If you're going through a good time right now, you ought to be on your knees even more going, God, you're so good to me because I don't deserve this. It is a recognition of who he is. And so do we really, uh, do we rely on God to satisfy our hearts? Does God truly satisfy you? If you will, just write this down, Psalm 63. Psalm 63. And sometime today, would you just read Psalm 63? It's not very long, but it's written by David, the man after God's own heart. And he talks about how he desires God and God will satisfy his heart. Can that be your prayer? Reflect on that this week and ask God to help you see him as the one who truly satisfies you. Again, some of you are in the in-between time. And what lessons is God teaching you right now as you wait for him? Are you diving into his word? Are you trusting him even when you don't see it yet? He is coming in deliverance for you. And when God is silent, do we look to other things to fill us? Do we seek help in places that God does not want us going? Do we think, hey, I'll take it and I'll do it my way thinking that will be better? So how do we make sure we don't lose heart in the in-between time? Remember God's faithfulness in the past because God's faithfulness in the past will fuel your faith in him now and in the future. And can I just, again, be honest? Every one of you has something to praise God for. Every single one of you. God has been faithful to get you to this day. Even if it may have been hard, it may have been difficult, but he's been faithful. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Trust him. So how do we guard our hearts? Well, first, we are never too far gone that we can't turn from our ways back to God. So again, I don't know what you've come in here with, but I know this, you don't have to keep it. You can leave it here as you turn from your sin and turn to Christ. And the enemy will tell you, there is no way that God will accept you. Jesus did not die to make good people better. Jesus died to take dead people and give them life. You may be dead in your sin, but this is the God we serve. He breathes life into dead bodies through the son of God who died for us. So turn back to him. And how do you do that? You humble yourself. You repent, and again, you turn from God, but you are from sin, but you turn to God. 
You don't just turn from sin to nothing. You say, no, Lord, I will pursue you. And you cry out for God's help. And the Bible says that if we ask, we will receive. If we knock, he'll open. Keep on asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, and God will answer your prayer. Cry out to him. And then when you've done that, what do you do? You hear this every week almost. We pray, we read the word, we obey the word, we worship God, and we live in community. That's how we continue to live with a heart that's faithful and not foolish. We need to pray, we need to be in God's word, we need to obey his word, we need to worship him, and we need to be in community with people who will hold us accountable to live for his glory. So how's your heart? If you have a foolish heart, turn from God, uh, from that sin and turn to God in repentance. If you have a faithful heart, thank him that he's gotten you to this point and keep trusting him day after day. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, we are grateful you're here. Or maybe you're new in your walk with the Lord and you have questions about that. Over here on my right and your left, Pastor Amanda is here and she would love to ask, answer any questions you may have. Please come up. We're not afraid of questions. If you have a question, come talk to Amanda. She'd love to answer it. Maybe you're here and you're in that in-between time where it seems that God is far away and you wonder, does he even care? And here's what God has promised, that if we will call out to him, he will help us. And we have men and women on both sides of the stage that you can come up to. If you're struggling financially, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and you just want someone to pray with you, these men or women, they would love to do that. And I can promise you there's nothing you'll tell them that will shock them. We love to help people and pray for people. So please come and allow them to pray for you. And then finally, everywhere around this room where you see a lamp on the table, there's the blood and the body of Jesus Christ, the bread and the juice that represent his body broken for you, Jesus' blood shed for you. And what we can do when we take communion is we can repent, thank him for his forgiveness, and then eat and drink knowing that it was because of what Jesus did that we can repent. The only thing we do, again, is we ask that you repent before you do that. And I know, again, it, the easy thing to do is to want to rush out and, you know, beat the Baptist to the restaurant or whatever. But can I just tell you the most spiritual thing you'll do this morning is not listen to me teach. The most spiritual thing you'll do is to commune with God. So I would encourage you, please, just grab that piece of bread, that juice, come and sit down. If you don't want to go to one of the tables on the poles around you, there's baskets that have cups that have the bread and the juice, grab one of those, sit down for just a moment and make priority time with God for just a few moments and thank him for his forgiveness and ask him for strength to live for him. And then we'll be dismissed here in just a few moments. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that's contained there. We thank you that you're the one that can change our hearts. And so I pray that all across this room, their hearts will be changed for your glory and for their good. Do it, we ask in your powerful, wonderful name. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you guys, help yourselves.